The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Social enterprises are some of my favourite things in business. The idea that a company could be about more than just shareholder value that it's part of a community and that the impact it has can be positive in many ways if it just decides to try are hugely powerful ideas. As social enterprises have emerged, some people have asked, why aren't they just charities if they want to do good? But the real question, I think, is why isn't every non-social enterprise trying to leave the world it's in better than it found it? There are supporters helping the concept grow. For the last three years, the Akina Foundation has been delivering a program in partnership with government called the Impact Initiative, focused on the future of New Zealand's social enterprises. Akina runs a range of programs to help more businesses make money and change, to help grow companies' capability, support them in things like finance and other nuts and bolts of doing business well, and create and demonstrate the impact in what they do. Part of this includes working with impact companies to help them become investment ready, and they offer grants and support to great social enterprises like Chia Sisters and Big Street Bikers, cool companies that we've spoken to in the past on the podcast. The Akina Foundation is an impact consultancy, and to talk about what that means, Akina CEO Louise Aitken joins us now. Tenakwe, thank you for being here. Tenakwe, Simon, thanks for having me. Hey, cool. So tell us about... Um, Tell me about your journey into into working there, because you come from running some of the biggest corporate social responsibility kind of programs, haven't you? Yeah, um, it's been a great journey. Uh, I was with Fonterra for a long time, and my last job there was running Fonterra Milk for Schools and Kickstart Breakfast, which was pretty life-changing. I got to see you know, what corporate social responsibility can do to... To make a difference, um, particularly with our rangatahi. So that was great, but I really wanted to see more. I wanted to see how a business, really their their absolute decision-making across their entire business, how can that actually be improved to make positive social and environmental change? And that's when I stumbled across social enterprise and had my kind of ta-da moment, um, my impact moment and, and jump ship from corporate world into Akina, yeah, just over five years ago. 
what what had led you uh, into the kind of corporate social responsibility area, and and how did you how did you get in there? As those are, um, yeah, they're, they're kind of an emerging kind of uh, part of what businesses are doing. It it really has been emerging, and I think that it's even probably. In my, I would say maybe in the past now, I think corporate social responsibility was an important part of organisations, for-profit organisations, recognising their role in de- delivering you know, positive outcomes for communities and for the environment. But actually now many of them have realised that their entire business should be doing that. Mm. Um, so the model of social enterprise, I think, has been inspiring in that way. Um, for me, I was lucky you know, in a career with a very large company like Fonterra. I did lots of different things. I was based in the US with them selling milk powder and protein to some of the world's biggest companies. And I wanted to return home. Um, I was able to come back to New Zealand to have a child here and um, got the opportunity to um, jump into the launch of Fonterra Milk for Schools. Um, I knew the Fonterra business really well, so that meant that it was a natural step for me and then that's where my life kind of moved into a different direction to really think about how can I contribute to positive outcomes. Yeah, that's such an interesting thought, isn't it, that corporate social responsibility is kind of saying we'll do good stuff over here and then we won't worry about thinking about doing good stuff with the actual main thing we do. What was it about social enterprise where it's so baked into what you do that that the, the, the good is so baked into what you do. What was it about it that um, attracted you to the area or, or what, what caught your eye in the first place? Well, the, the most important thing that I saw were entrepreneurs and enterprises having really good business. They, their businesses were really successful. But that was to get them to the goal of why they existed. It was as a lever to deliver positive change. And that was really exciting for me. It wasn't about how much money they made at an end of a quarter or the end of the year and what was the payout to shareholders. It was actually their primary purpose of being was to make a positive change. They used the lever of business to do that. And that for me was a comfort because I'd been in that world of business for so long. So it was just that exciting kind of mix of doing good, but using a vehicle such as an economic model to do that. And what I saw, and particularly uh, here in New Zealand, is that's been around for a very, very long time. If you look at, you know, traditional indigenous businesses, particularly, you know, embedded in tikanga and te, te ao Māori, that's exactly why business existed. Is it was for the people and for the whenua. So why shouldn't we embrace that and support the growth of that here in New Zealand? Which is why I joined Arkina five years ago. What What does Arkina do? And and actually also. Is there kind of like a a working definition for a social enterprise? We have a definition. Uh, You know, it it is organisations that trade for an environmental or social purpose. And that word trade is really important. You are selling a good or a service. Somebody is buying something and the act of buying results in impact to be able to be delivered, either through profit that the organisation may generate off off the sale of that thing, or actually it's embedded in the way they do business. They might have a model where they give one, uh, buy one, give one model. It may be pastoral care, supporting people with um, you know into em- um, into employment opportunities where they may have barriers that exist in in, in in mainstream employment. You know, there's lots and lots of different models of social enterprise, uh, and in in our view, it's not really the fo- the focus shouldn't really be on the definition. Um, whatever you want to call yourself is great. Whether you call yourself a 
social enterprise, a community enterprise, a whānau enterprise, an impact enterprise. We should be focused on the impact. So what change is occurring as a result of that business activity? And that's where we get into some really, really exciting things, particularly given the challenges we face at the moment, you know, massive inequality in our communities, you know, significant challenges to address climate change, um, waste management, you've got all of these things which we need solutions for and we can't rely just on business or just on the charitable sector to be able to address those. We must also have business be able to contribute solutions to that and that's what we think the opportunity for the growth of social enterprise can really offer to our economy here in, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but more importantly, our society and mm. our environment. Yeah, I, I love I love how you said that in, in some ways it's a going back to the way that business has been in the past, as it seems to me that, you, you know, it's probably the, the huge growth of shareholder capitalism where the only goal of business was to return money to shareholders. And then that just externalised all the other responsibilities business had had around pastoral care of workers or uh, looking after the environmental externalities that they produced. <laughs> and and we still have that mindset where it's kind of like the only thing that matters in a business is returning money to shareholders. And so you can fire people, you can sell off pension funds, you can not have your carbon in the ETS and all of these things. But but it's a reasonably recent kind of thing, isn't it? That kind of approach to, to business. Yeah, I mean, I heard this quote and I, I should probably find out who said it, but we don't live in an economy. We live in a society. You know, the economy is a lever to what we want to achieve. It should enable us to have a society where everyone prospers, everyone is inclusive, where the land in which we stand is looked after. That, you know, what sustains us is the thing that's important. And I think we all saw that through COVID. You know, the world changed for everybody and we connected deeper with nature. You know, how many of us loved going out for our walks in the bush? You know, we saw our neighbours in a different way. We saw the people who served us at the supermarket uh, for probably for the first time. You know, these are things that actually we care deeply about. Why shouldn't that be an important part of the way our economy works as well? Because that will enable us all to be prosperous, sustainable and inclusive. Yeah, and it's such a nice idea of, you know, it, it recalibrated what essential meant for a while. I wonder how much of that people keep in their, the forefront of their thinking now. But it, it was it was a really nice opportunity for people to think about what was essential in terms of workers and services, but also the kind of businesses that they wanted to survive. And people became very, um, yeah, like, like patrons of things that they wanted to continue, which was quite a, there's that nice idea, you know, every dollar you spend is a vote for the kind of world you want to live in. And a lot of people did that voting. And I think there, also, there was two other groups that I think were really important during that time um, and, and will be more important in the future is employees began asking different questions. Mm. You know, is their employer demonstrating the same values that they have? And if not, why not? And maybe asking different questions, uh, you know, and that that's good because that stimulates a conversation. It could stimulate action, but also investors started asking different questions. You know, what? How are we valuing our staff? You know, the, our biggest asset is the people that are employed in organisations. How are we looking after them? What are the things that maybe we need to start thinking about differently about maybe retaining? Um, 
cash, you know, to in order to get through any issues. Maybe what we're doing needs to be looked at differently. And I think that's a good thing for us to do if, if we have that benefit coming out of COVID, then I think that, you know, we should be proud of that. But we also need to be reminding ourselves that we need to continually look at actually what we do we care about and making sure that we're actually acting in a way that defines the world we want to pass on to our mokopuna and, and their mokopuna in the future, because we all have those choices. How do you go about helping businesses to start measuring and thinking about those things and building them into their everyday, so they aren't an ex, you know thing on the side. They're, they're kind of central to what they they make happen. How, how how do you help businesses with that? It is an absolute journey, you know. As and and it's been a journey for us as well as an organisation. You know, I think that the most important thing that you have to start thinking about is what is the problem you're trying to contribute a solution to. Do you do you know that problem? Do you experience that problem yourself? If you don't, find somebody who does and. Uh, listen to them. Often they will know the solution to the problem that they're experiencing. Talk to other organisations that are also doing the same thing, working in that same space. Sometimes we get fixated on the symptoms of a problem without actually understanding the root cause of it. So that's a lot of work that we do with organisations. But really the most important thing that people need to do is really understand their impact story. Measure it, value it and if you can do all of that, you can then start improving it. Um, and for us, it's about going on the journey with those organisations and just asking them questions that they might not have thought about themselves. You know, what change are you actually trying to contribute to? And how will you know if you achieve that? And that's a really important, exciting place to be in when you do know and you can measure the change that's occurring. What are some examples of someone's or a business's impact story and how they do measure the change that they're making? So we do a lot of work with organisations that we are either uh, helping get ready for uh, to access investment that values impact, so impact investing, um, as well as we are. We have New Zealand's first impact fund with our partners, New Ground Capital and Impact Ventures. Uh, so we do a lot of work in helping organisations tell their impact story. And for some of the organisations that actually have been on your podcast, we've worked with. Um, so ZeroJet is you know, a, a great example. Zincovery, uh, Grounded is one that really took their impact story to a really deep level where they actually started to really uncover what are their their actions and how do they actually contribute to the long-term change that they want to that they want to see happen in the world so they do a lot of work around reducing single-use plastics, so into supply chains. So a lot of packaging material is single-use. So what are the solutions that could be available uh, you know, in an economic way to very large organisations who use single-use plastic in supply chains? So what they started to do is not only look at the manufacturing supply chain and, and the carbon footprint of that, but also thinking well you know, into the future of what their supply chain looks like. So back into their manufacturing, but also what were their customers going to be doing with that product? How do they start to measure the significant impact through supply chains? And if you can start uh, understanding what that looks like, you can then start figuring out how you're going to measure it. And then from there, figuring out once you've got that data, how can you improve it? And that's really exciting for us to see organisations taking that journey. Um, because 
yeah, it's 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 a big thing to do as a as a business, particularly when you're also trying to do have a really strong sustainable business alongside that. Your impact model and your business model are two really really important parts of that. You've got to be focused on both. So it's exciting that we've got some great organisations doing that. And when some companies, you know, for some companies, telling that impact story can be a huge part of their success, can't it? And attracting customers and attracting, you know, suppliers or accounts or whatever who share the same values or giving them more kind of reasons to be in the media and also just as being part of something new and exciting. But it's kind of wild, isn't it, that there's room to be new by actually just kind of measuring your impact and trying to improve it. Like the fact that the base setting for business is, I don't know where this comes from, so I don't know where it goes and buy it. Yeah. And, you know, what what we're seeing is that, you know, one of the biggest challenges is having a consistent language of that impact is that, you know, if we're all talking about it in the same way, we can all figure out you know, where we can have maybe deeper partnerships with organisations through supply chains or investment opportunities or even direct to consumers and how you articulate the impact that you're having really matters. So getting it to a really simple language, you know, what pe- what type of people are impacted? What change has happened in their lives as a result of whatever the activity is? And sometimes the impact can be extraordinary for one individual. And telling that story can open up a huge amount of opportunities for business because deeply, you know, fundamentally we all care about that. You know, as a consumer, we want the options. We want to know that our money is going to things that can contribute to the world that we want to be living in. But also, at the highest level, investors want that as well. Often more and more of them want it, but so do government. So actually, if you're able to articulate your impact in a common language, you may have opportunities that you didn't even know existed. You know, governments spend $42 billion in procurement. They also are quite focused on well-being outcomes. So what about starting to talk in that same language and thinking about selling your goods and services into supply chains where that those outcomes, those well-being outcomes are actually valued? That's really exciting for us. Yeah, and as it's a system problem, it's kind of linking up enough bits in the system to, to solve it. T- tell me about how you're working with the government to actually help to kind of, I guess, increase the number of businesses considering social enterprise and also helping those who are trying it succeed? So we've just finished our partnership with government. Uh, so three years of, of, of a real true partnership, not only with um, you know the, the New Zealand government, which it was about 14 agencies all up who had interest uh, in a thriving social enterprise sector, but we also worked with the social enterprise sector themselves. So really deep partnerships. And what we wanted to do was, you know, how can we identify the opportunities for removing the barriers for social enterprises to thrive. So for government, they have a lot of levers that they can focus on that enable social enterprises to scale and grow. You know, what? how can we enable access to more capital where impact is valued? How can procurement opportunities be 
open more to organisations who do deliver wellbeing outcomes? How can we find um, you know, easier access and more relevant access to the tools and support that businesses need at the start of their journey to actually start well um, and be focused on a, a social and environmental purpose? How can we help government measure their own impact and actually scale and grow that? Those are all the things that we worked on over the last three years by testing, by researching, by delivering, and and at times putting stuff out there that we were like, you know, kind of throwing it on the wall and saying, would this work? Learning from that. And then now we're at that really exciting stage where we're delivering the recommendations to government. These are the things now that you can do government to really accelerate those levers so that social enterprises become a really strong part of our economic model here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Kia ora, I'm Sophie. And I'm Simon. And I'm Alice. And together we host the spin-off's food podcast, Dietary Requirements. Join us each month as we explore a vast culinary landscape. From the gourmet. Ooh la la. To your more hearty tucker. Kiwi onion dip anyone? Everything's on the table in Dietary Requirements. Subscribe wherever you listen to all your other favourite podcasts. At 42 billion of procurement you mentioned, I imagine there's all kinds of rules at the moment that say you have to have 100 million of liability insurance or you have to have 15 years trading or or things that would just cut out a whole lot of, you know, maybe smaller, newer, um, more innovative, less corporate companies. So I think historically that's been the case. Um, we're really excited by the change that's happened in some of the new guidelines that government have put out around broader outcomes for procurement. But the thing that we have to remember is that supply chains can be really complex. They can be really deep. They can have lots of different size organisations throughout them. So government can be a stimulator for good practice. So if government government spend about $42 billion, as, as we just said, the economy spends about $690 billion. So if government is spending that $42 billion with a focus on delivering well-being outcomes, then what happens across the rest of the economy? Because some of those very large businesses will be the main supplier to government, but they will subcontract other organisations in to do things like cleaning or security or waste management, whatever it might be. They can be the social enterprises. So that's where we start to look at at a system level to say, where are the opportunities for social enterprises. They're unlikely to be, you know, the the writer of a tender for a $100 billion roading contract, but they can be the supplier of services within that supply chain. So how do we incentivise the tier one suppliers to look at their own supply chains and say, well, where can impact be achieved? And that's where work that we do through certifying social enterprises and being able to create a social uh, procurement marketplace. Our partners, Amatai, are doing some extraordinary work when it comes to enabling Māori and Pacifica businesses to access procurement contracts within government. So there's lots of organisations thinking about how to do this and we must all do it together. Tell me about that certification as that's really interesting as I imagine, you know, anywhere where there's green messages, there's greenwashing and, you know, companies can be cynical. How how does someone who's like a, a cleaning company in that example, um, you, you know, what do they have to do to become a social enterprise and how would you go about certifying them? Well, we use a definition for social enterprise just in the certification model. 
So what we do is we help those organisations to understand, first of all, would they qualify under that um, certification? So we go through a kind of screening. What, are they, what do they do as a business? How do they manage their impact? How do they, re- they report their impact? Really importantly, how do they govern that impact? Because often that can be a really tough thing for a business is how do you make sure that that impact is the primary reason for you existing? And how, if you got investment or a contract, how would you make sure that that impact would still be your primary purpose? So we do a lot of work with those organisations at that point to certify them. But that's not where it ends, because once they are certified, we want to help support them to be ready for procurement opportunities. So it's about being able to connect them with buyers. It's about being able to get those buyers ready to value the impact that that supplier um, can can contribute. Um, So it's about bringing up the capability of the entire market at the same time. And and that's exciting. We've got 14 buyers um, within our social procurement buyer program. They account for probably $60 billion of procurement spend collectively. So that's a huge opportunity. But we need to be able to work on how actually is impact valued within that what can be quite a complex um, process of execution when it comes to procurement, you know. And for people who have businesses, you know, people may be listening who have some, uh, they have goals about doing good and they do some good in their business. How can they kind of codify in the impact into what they do to be able to reach that bar? Because I imagine there's quite a few people who, um, yeah, like, like who, who maybe are interested in the area and are wondering kind of like how much it would take or whether it's possible. Well, there's no legal structure for social enterprises in New Zealand, and I think we're pretty lucky uh, in that regard. You know, what we do need to do is think about how do we provide the support so that when people want to become a social enterprise or impact enterprise, whatever they want to call themselves, they can have the tools available to them to help them make good decisions uh, about their legal structure, about the way they protect their mission. Um, So there's lots of things that organisations can do today. In our view, really making sure that their impact is clear, uh, clearly articulated in, it might be their founding documentation, it may be the way they talk about themselves. Uh, It could also be in the way that they produce their reports. So whether it's an annual report or whatever it might be, is being really, really clear on how your measure your impact and how it is contributing to the long-term change that you're hoping to see. Um, but there is opportunities um, from a, within our current legal structures, um, not only to you know, make sure that in a constitution it's really clear so that if an investor comes in, that they understand what they're investing in. That's a really important aspect. But also there's opportunities for us to improve that. So we are working with the New Zealand government to think about in the future what are those ways that government regulation can actually help support the growth and protection that social enterprises or impact enterprises need. Um, you know, and But yeah, so there's lots of work that could be done at the moment. It's about educating and providing the tools for organisations to make good decisions as they start grow. Yeah, and if I think about some of the people that we've talked about, whether it's big street bikers who, who, who you've worked with, who, um, you know, they, they measure the, um, you know, number of people on bikes who are no longer in cars, or the carbon, or, um, you know, Chia Sisters who have a, a wide range of things under the B Corporation standard, the B Corp standard, uh, that they can measure and report on. I guess part of it is about just um, choosing your measure 
publicising it and sticking to it, I, I guess, isn't it? Like whether it's we will donate 10% of all profits to X environmental issue or we will sequester carbon uh, at a rate of X. You know, as, as long as you've, you've got something clear and you're talking about it, is, is, is that enough? Yes, it's a good starting point. I think, you know, as as organisations grow and feel more confident in the impact that they are achieving, they can start to look deeper within mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. organisations. Um, you know, in our view, good business needs to not only be around one area that you're focused on. You know, it's also about how you're looking after your staff. What are the things you're doing, uh, you know, in the environment if you're not an environmentally focused organisation? You know, these are things that there's lots of opportunities for us all to get better at, whether you're a social enterprise or not. You know, so for us, it's about making sure that people know that support is available to them. There's extraordinary organisations who are really open about the journey that they're on. You know, Cheer Sisters is, is one of those where it was hard for them but they're sharing that journey with others as as inspiration, but also as a help so that the next organisation won't have it as difficult because we all need to contribute. And I think the more that we can share our learnings and failures, the next generation of businesses will even be better mm. and gooder than, than you know, what we're seeing at the moment, which is hugely inspiring. Yeah, and, and you'd think the base setting should be looking at everything you do and go, how can we do this in a way that leaves the world better or leaves as little negative impact or looks after people the most. But it's not currently how the incentives are set out, is it? No, it's not. Yeah. And this is something that does require not only massive system change, but we need to change the way that we value what we value. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's not talking about financial valuation. It's actually, what do we care about? And what are the things that we're going to look for in the organisations that we buy things from, that we invest in, that we're employed by. And if we all start doing that to the the, the degree that we can, because that's also a challenge as well, is that often it's not a choice that everyone can make all the time. So what we've got to be able to do is provide the journey ahead. And if the very large for-profit organisations start to think about them being more purpose-led, then that's also a significant change. They might not ever call themselves a social enterprise, but if they can make some steps towards being more environmentally focused, for caring deeper about the communities in which they operate, we will we will have a stronger economy, which leads to the type of society that we want to live in. What would your advice be for someone who is interested in learning more about the social enterprise journey? Like, how do they, what, what's the first step for them to take here? So I think, you know, listen and learn and connect with social enterprises. You know, I went back and looked at the list of all of the organisations that you've um, interviewed, and there's some extraordinary social enterprises. You know, you've got Zero Jets and Covery, Cheer Sisters, as you mentioned, again, again, Nano Girl, Mentimia, you know, Big Street Bikers. These are ex- extraordinary organisations that are really open about their journey. So listen and, and ask questions, but also know that there's lots and lots of tools available. We've got a whole bunch of tools that we help develop uh, within our government partnership that are available for everyone for free, which is just ideas about how to start. What are the things you need to start thinking about if you want to uh, start up a business that does good? Um, Also, if you are 
an existing business, what are the opportunities for you to think about improving? Um, just in the last week, an extraordinary toolkit has been developed um, to help organisations understand how to address climate change within their business. And that was by the Sustainable Business Network, um, in partnership with business.gov.nz. So it's all really available. So, you know, just go on a journey, but know that there's lots of organisations that can help you along the way. That's so cool. And as a, as a final thought, like, what will success be for you? And also, what will success be for Akina in the world of social enterprise? You know, for, for Akina, you know, ultimately, if we have an economy where what we deeply care about is valued, that Everyone in Aotearoa, New Zealand is uh, is part of that, where our, our whenua is looked after, that we are proud of what we're passing on to the future generations. That would be success. Uh, for me personally, um, I love what I do. I love being inspired to be bold and see these extraordinary organisations grow. And, and I work with some pretty extraordinary people to do that. So we have a lot of fun doing it. And I think, if, if, you know, um, I'm extremely grateful for to be able to do it here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And um, I think, you know, the more that we can do these these great things and inspire people to, to think differently, to think about an economy being a lever for the world we want to live in, then, you know, that's a great thing for us as an organisation and, and me individually. That's so magic. Well, thank you for coming and sharing the story today uh, and looking forward to, to what's next. That's Louise Aitken, CEO at uh, Akina. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you so much to uh, Donathan for producing and thank you very much for having us along in your ears. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callaghan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.